702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 702 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. Coming up on the show today, the Pala Pala accused apply for bail. Five appear in court for Dipslut vigilante attacks. The DA is holding a press conference about the murder of its Ungeni chief whip. The hate speech bill and the investigating directorate bill passed by the National Assembly will unpack what this means and a memorial underway for the Implatz miners. All of this over the next hour. 702. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Great to be with you today. Several court cases we are watching for you. We'll also speak about new legislation that has gone past the National Assembly, now has to go to the President uh, to be signed off and what it means. So two of those we're looking at is the hate speech bill that has been contested. What does it mean uh, for freedom of speech and do we need new legislation at all? Also the investigating directorate bill. This is crucial to making sure that the investigating directorate has security of tenure, that it is a permanent institution, that it has investigative powers. But there have been some concerns raised there by Glynis Breitenbach, for example, about whether we are just making a mini scorpions and not uh, giving it sufficient independence. So We'll speak about all of that on the show today. Remember, you can send me a WhatsApp voice note, 072-702-1702-072-567-1567, or you can send me a tweet on at Mandy Wiener. Well, let's start with the Palapala case, the alleged mastermind behind the burglary at President Cyril Ramaphosa's Palapala game farm. Due to make a formal bail application today, accused number one, Emanuela David, making an appearance at the Bella Bella Magistrates Court in Limpopo today. That matter hasn't started just yet, uh, but we are expecting it to. Uh, also, the co-accused siblings, Froliana and David Joseph, also charged with housebreaking and theft of around 580,000 US dollars in cash from the president's farm in February 2020. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, is there for us. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. What's happening at the courthouse? Good afternoon, Mandy. Uh, as you said, the case, uh, the former bail application for accused number one, Emanuela David, has not kicked off yet. Um, I can tell you, Mandy, we did spot um, his lawyer, uh, Emanuela David's lawyer, just, uh, you know, a briefing or talking to him, um, just obviously going through those last minute um, details of the application. Now, Emanuela David, as, I, as we said, he is the alleged mastermind of this uh, this burglary that happened um, in President Sir Ramaphosa's Papa Game Farm in 2020. Um, so he's obviously, unlike the two other accused in this case, which are for Liana and uh, David Joseph, um, the state said, you know, they are go- the state says it is going to oppose his bail application. As we know that um, Forleana and David were released last month on bail with the state not opposing it. And I think, Mandy, largely down to the state not opposing was that um, the NPA had initially believed that all three of the accused were Namibian nationals. Uh, during the bail application, it actually turned out that Forleana and David Joseph were actually South Africans, and they had South African IDs. So then, obviously, that threat of them fleeing the country was obviously no longer there. So it is going to be interesting whether Emanuela David is um, a Namibian national or a South African national, where the state can actually use the fact that 
he might actually free prosecution. But it's important to, men- to mention that um, Emanuela David was arrested here in uh, in uh, in Rustenburg, in Rustenburg, not here actually in the northwest in Rustenburg last month. A bit of interesting um, stuff happening outside court, mm, Mandy. Very interesting. Yes. What what uh, the the people who are there in the organisations? Yes, yes. So there is an organisation, uh, Mandy. It's the uh, Against Farm Murders organization. Um, I initially thought they here to support President Cyril Ramaphosa as a farm owner who got robbed, but it turns out they're actually here to protest against him. I spoke to Peter Sito. He's the spokesperson for the organization, and this is what he had to say about why they're outside here at the Bilabila Magistrate Court. I represent uh, the farmers and farm workers of South Africa, black, white, Indian, colored, whereby I've seen those people have been tortured, um, and killed. And I, when I interviewed the victims, they say that when the people attack them, what they, what they need first is money. They think that uh, the, the farmers in South Africa, they've got money, we're hiding under the mattress like the prisoner of South Africa. The truth must be spoken. No matter, maybe to, uh, today they're going to arrest me or kill me, but there's no one want to speak the truth. The truth must be spoken. And I'm here today. I say that as a South African, as, as I live my country, and I'm, uh, I obey the law of South Africa, that there's no one above the law. The president must face, face the music. So what do you mean he must face the music? Um, he's the one who got robbed. Yes, exactly. Now, you can't, uh, as the president, the leader of South Africa hide the man under the mattress. You can't do that. Those people, they, uh, they, they, they didn't maybe uh, uh, rob the president, the president take his uh, bank account. No, they have taken cash uh, on, the, on his farm. My brother, uh, it is truth. That's why I'm saying that Mr. Tinyan, let's speak the truth. The truth must be spoken. If that money was found uh, to me, of you, what's going to happen? Exactly. So to be so I'm trying to follow the logic here. So the Stop Farm Murders organization is protesting because they're saying that this entire story and the, the idea that the president hid the cash in the couch or under the, the mattress um, leads to the belief that other farmers are, are doing the same and that could lead to an increase in farm murders. Yes, it is exactly. Um, you know, he's saying that obviously um, the, the president had this money, which obviously um, he's, he's finding a bit questionable because obviously it was money from game farm proceeds. Um, so obviously he's saying that this is not obviously what all farmers do. Actually, farmers who, who sell whatever product, they don't have money. They don't keep money under their couches or mattresses. And what happened with the president is actually um, made farmers much more unsafe because now all these robbers, all these attackers think we also do business in cash and we also keep money either in safe or anywhere else. And so that's what he's saying that, you know, the president has not properly accounted for what, uh, for, for what his actions um, have led to. So that's basically it, Mandy. Tabiso, thank you very much. I'll let you get into court there. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, waiting for that uh, court case to actually begin. We're going to see a bail application. That's what it looks like, at least, from accused number one, Emanuela David, uh, set to make an appearance there, along with the co-accused as well. Um, and uh, it will be interesting to see if more detail does come out. We do know that uh, David had a real lifestyle change on his social media uh, pages. Um, she, she had a lifestyle change on, on, media, on social media pages pages um, showing him posing next to luxury cars and drinking expensive liquor living the high life as well Uh, so going to be interesting to see that bell application there the midday report on 702 winner of the best daytime show award at the 2023 telcom radio awards 
Staying in the courts, five people expected to appear in court today in connection with the vigilante attacks that claimed seven lives in Dipsluit at the weekend. Uh, many men aged uh, between 30 and 38 were arrested on Monday after an eyewitness identified one of them. Those five suspects due to appear in the Randberg Magistrate's Court today. Let's speak now to Lefan Kala, community leader in Dipsluit. Lefa, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, what do we know about these five people who are appearing in court today? Um, morning, my sister. What we know as uh, the community leaders is that these are suspects who have been apprehended by police after an incident of mob justice that took place between Friday night and Saturday morning. So they've been arrested after that incident. So we are here today as community leaders to observe you know, the processes of the law because we know in, in our country for a person to be arrested, it doesn't mean that person is guilty of something. The person will be innocent up until proven otherwise by the court of law. So we are here to give them the moral support because this are part of the community of Tipsroad, a very frustrated community, a community that is experiencing a lot of things. You know, they find themselves in this situation today because of the hardship that they found themselves living unto. So it's for that reason that uh, we are here as the Tipsroad community forum. Is there a sense amongst the community that uh, what they did was justified? Uh, do you condone uh, this kind of vigilante action? At no place that we can condone that. You know, uh, the killing of a person is something that cannot be condoned. You know, even though a community now reacting a situation to have been complaining about that for a better part of and many years that have passed, we have been on the state calling, you know, on the government to intervene the situation. People who are killed on a daily basis, unfortunately, cannot get the media coverage that this now. Lefa, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry this, this, the, the line is not holding up there but we appreciate you speaking to us Lefa and Kala, community leader in Dipstow, is explaining there that they're in court today, they are giving moral support to the accused but they do not justify uh, the actions necessarily. Well let's get an update on what actually happened uh, in court today Mobile Madala, Newsroom Africa reporter joining us for an update there Gobili, good afternoon to you. Thank you for making time to speak to us today. What's happened in court? Well, what we saw is um, five people that came up, and of course um, they were charged with they were they were charged with five counts of murder, robbery with aggravated circumstances, assault, attempted kidnapping, jubilation, and malicious damage to property. These are the charges that they face at this very point. And of course, um, they were asked if they wanted to to apply for bail. Um, we understand that they were forging forward to apply for bail, but there's a lot of documentation that they still need through in terms of ensuring that the address is correct, that um, the suspects um, can be found should they go out on bail. So that process needs to now first take place, and then when they apply, and they'll be applying for bail on. So the case has postponed until the 13th of December. 
Okay, so it's been uh, postponed. Mobile, uh, what do we know about the five people who have been arrested? We did speak to a community leader saying that they are there to give moral support. Um, are these just five members of the of the community? What other details do we have about them? Well, at this very point, what we have been told is that there's quite a lot that's still yet to, to be done. So they're not giving us their names just yet. But we have heard from some of the people that are obviously in courts just in conversations that some of them might be leaders in the community. Um, we also know that some of them are facing some, um, they have pending cases. I mean, uh, accused number two has a domestic case, which we understand he was not convicted for. Um, accused number five um, was also found in possession of um, Dacha, so he has a pending case. Um, so some of them may not have convictions, um, but some have pending cases. But we understand that there's some some of them play a leadership role in the community. However, when we got out of court, we later found from some leaders that spoke to us, very outspoken, really, um, a community very angry. A lot of them have said that, that they're innocent until proven guilty. Um, and so have come here to support. They have said that they are going back to London Beach to want to mobilize. They went as far as that uh, the police stayed in the area because it must right. serve had to ourselves. It must just close um, on the ground. They've said the community is very furious and they continue to support them. They feel that they're innocent, that they have not done anything. This is despite having heard that they are facing all these charges that have been put forward, of course, by, uh, by the state. Mobile, thank you so much for your time uh, speaking to us there. Newsroom Africa reporter Mobile Madlala giving us an update on that court appearance today in Randburg. Five people appearing in court in connection with the vigilante attacks that claimed seven lives in Dipsluit. So there you get the sense of the sentiment, right, of the community in Dipsluit. They're frustrated with the lack of policing. This is a long-running issue. It's complex. But the community saying they're innocent until proven guilty, which is absolutely correct according to the law, but not justifying any kind of vigilante killing. But this is definitely um, a, a bubbling situation in Dipsluit. The community has warned about it. They've gone to the president over it. We've been speaking about this for years and years. What now happens to these five? And, and how do they show, how do they, they prove that these five were involved? Is there footage? Are there eyewitnesses? Are there people that are willing to testify? I think that's going to be fascinating. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. I'm late. I know I'm late. But there's a saying uh, in in uh, black Twitter culture and everything. It says, Skaba Hemisa. Uh, you played that jingle uh, the day after it was announced that you won that award. I'm glad it's still playing. Oh, Skaba Hemisa. Skaba Hemisa means... Don't let them breathe. Just sit on top of their necks. Uh, congrats, Mandy. Good afternoon, Mandy. Um, what happened in Deep Sloot is a is a frustration of community members, you know. And if you could remember, in Cape Town, there was also a mob justice group called Bahad. They were also fighting against drugs. So the more police fail to effectively deal with crime in communities, more and more um, mob justice groups are gonna, you know, emerge. 
So that's my comment on that. It's Kanyin Katleong. Thanks. And this is really ominous, right? It, it really is when you see what's happening in Dipsworth and that is a direct uh, result of a lack of confidence in, in policing. Um, I, you know, I can understand you drawing the similarities to to, uh, to Pagat. In fact, if you go and read uh, Mark Shaw's book called Breaking the Bombers about how the police actually caught um, and and prosecuted those responsible for the bombings in Cape Town during the um, the, the, the Pagat years in the 1990s. Um, it's very interesting, but I think that's, that's almost... Um, an extreme of of what we're seeing here in in a way. Um, But I do think that it's very concerning because we will see more and more vigilantism uh, uh, arising. Um, Thank you so much for for the first uh, WhatsApp voice note um, celebrating us. Don't worry, we won't won't let them breathe. We'll, We'll keep doing what we do. The Midday Report on 702. Winner of the Best Daytime Show Award at the 2023 Telcom Radio Awards. Just to remind you again, thank you, Palesa. Uh, let's stay in the courts. The EFF and Parliament back in the Western Cape High Court again on a separate matter now relating to the August 22 forced removal from the Good Hope Chamber. Remember, of course, there's been all of this um, going on before Parliament's Powers and Privileges Committee around the State of the Nation address this year in 2023 and what's been happening there. In fact, um, many of uh, the, the, the parties have been slamming the EFF for turning Parliament into a circus. The National Assembly uh, last night debating and adopting the report of the Powers and Privileges Committee, which recommended the suspension of some of those EFF leaders. Now they uh, are back in court today, but to do with the August 2022 forced removal from the Good Hope Chamber. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, following that for us. Babalo, just to remind us why exactly this matter is in court. Um, yes, indeed, Mandy. So um, the EFF, um, or Parliament rather, let me start there. Parliament decided to consolidate these two separate incidents that happened last year. Um, you know, which are separate completely from the SONA incident, which were related to, you know, um, EFF MPs being ejected from the House. Some were women MPs and they had, you know, complained about being manhandled, you know, by, by security services, protection services, you know, being women as well. That was one of their main um, challenges. This is Ndombo for your men. They at the forefront of this second court, NATO second disciplinary hearing. And, and it, it was consolidated with an earlier incident which happened in June, which is, involves Sinao Tambo, who is the spokesperson of the EFF, and he was also physically ejected. So these have been lumped together by Parliament, and now the EFF is trying to compel the Speaker to come testify when this hearing starts next week, Monday. And, and the committee, the Powers and Privileges Committee, has denied this request to subpoena the Speaker, uh, and that's basically where we are today. Part of the same, was well, it was in the same urgent application on Monday where the SONA matter was referred to next year because it's not seen as urgent. And this one was the matter that was kind of seen as urgent because it starts next week. And, you know, Parliament saying that they don't want to subpoena the Speaker for this matter and they would rather, you know, let maybe the court decide. So that's what's going to be happening in court today where the EFF will be arguing that the Speaker should testify at, uh, you know, at the disciplinary hearing which starts next week, Mandy. Okay, Babalo, thank you for explaining that uh, for us. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter on those other matters now uh, relating to the EFF being thrown out of the Good Hope Chamber. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. 
Happening right now, the Secretary-General of the ANC, Fakile Mbulula, is addressing the media about uh, various issues, one of uh, which involves the finances of the ANC and this, uh, the attempts to uh, to liquidate the ANC. The sheriff uh, coming to visit Latuli House uh, earlier this week. Let's have a listen to what he's saying. As it meets, will not only reflect but will take decisions on the matters that have been brought to its attention by the Integrity Commission. All members of the ANC implicated to the Zondo Commission who have not appeared before the Integrity Commission, which its number is around uh, 89 people, have been referred to the disciplinary committee of the ANC to attend uh, to them. All of them, without exception, their cases are referred to the disciplinary committee and the disciplinary committee will deal with the matters. As um, early as last week, I met with all the presenters of the ANC DC, led by Uriel Abrams, to process all these matters, including members of the ANC who are bringing the organization in disrepute in terms of public spats and everyone else to be attended to. So the cases that it is alleged were not attended to, we have compiled them, we are presenting them to the NEC and bringing an update on all those cases and these are about uh, 54 cases. There was a report in the media that uh, we have uh, shelved uh, cases of integrity and then reduced them to 53. That report is incorrect. We've got cases of people who have appeared before the integrity commission and were processed and uh, there were decisions by the previous NEC but um, because we are on the path of uh, renewal. Renewal, that's the big line, I think, uh, that we're going to hear from the ANC that we've been hearing for years already from Fakir and Blula, speaking about the Integrity Commission, uh, those ANC members who um, were uh, implicated in state capture. What is the ANC doing about them? What's up, Mandy? On 072 Good day, yeah, many winners, no many empty I think these uh, three accused, uh, they are just being used as the scapegoat in this Palapala case. We all know that uh, the property owners, uh, the president, Ramaphosa, and uh, the NBA and the police, they are failing to charge the president with an, with an act called MLTFC, the Money Laundering and Terrorism Financing Control Regulation Act which states that in South Africa you can only carry money not exceeding 25,000. So I don't know why is the NPA bluffing. Anyway, that's South Africa for you, Mandy Wiener. Thank you so much. 
Well, remember, there were various investigations. There was the public protector's investigation. There was one that was done by Parliament. There was one that was done by SARS. There was one done by the Hawks, all reaching generally the same conclusion, right? And I think this is a different matter. Um, the fact that they literally stole the money, I think that's the, the matter that's before court at the moment. And if um, the Hawks found that the president should be charged for money laundering, then absolutely he should be charged. But I think that it's um, false equivalence here. I think that uh, we, I'm very interested to see what evidence they have against uh, the accused in this matter um, and whether they are, are fall guys. So often in this country, we do see the wrong people being arrested um, and, and allegations of, of uh, police brutality. And, uh, you know, often we do wonder, are these the right people that are before court? But the evidence needs to be led. And that's why we have the criminal justice system. So if there is evidence, then they must be convicted. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Weiner. Let's walk the talk. Well, underway in Rustenburg today, a memorial for the Implatz miners that died in that uh, tragic mining uh, incident. Uh, so that's uh, underway at the moment. Employees coming together to honour the memory of those who were lost, injured and affected. Colleagues, uh, family is involved there. Have a listen to uh, what was happening at that memorial service a bit earlier on. a bit earlier on today. Let's speak to Alpha Ramashwana, EWN reporter who's there for us. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Uh, tell us about the memorial service. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, thousands of people are actually here today in Rustenburg, you know, to pay tribute to the 13 mine workers who died um, in the line of duty. There's also uh, a number of families that are here sitting next to the stage. They are also political leaders. But today we've heard the family members speaking for the first time since the incident happened. And you can get to understand the type of pain that they're currently going through. A representative has told um, uh, uh, the people here who are in attendance that they've been left without breadwinners at the moment. These people were their brothers, their husbands, and their children. And they are saying that they've had plans, festive season plans with them. Uh, now they've been cut short, completely cut, you know, and you're understanding the type of pain that these people are currently going through. They pleaded with the mind to help them financially, to help them with burial costs, and the mine did assure them that they will assist them. But the CEO of the mine has just been speaking now and he's promised them that he'll take care of their children's high school and tertiary fees. He'll also ensure that they get employment opportunities following their studies. So uh, there's a lot that's been said here today. Uh, the families seem very glad that the mine is promising that they'll be helping them financially moving on. Uh, and who's actually been uh, speaking at, um, at the memorial service today? Apart from apart from the, the families, we saw right now actually um, the CEO uh, Moses Mutaheng has just concluded his speech, and it was all based around the fact that he and his team are willing to ensure that the families of the people who've been affected will not uh, live without breadwinners. They are saying while they know that they've lost breadwinners, they'll ensure that the income that was coming in will continue coming in. They'll ensure that 
tertiary or school fees will be taken care of and employment opportunities will be made available. We also heard an AMCU uh, representative who was speaking here and he's saying that they are also investigating the matter and they know that closure won't be, uh, 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 closure won't come unless if they actually understand what caused that cage to plummet to the bottom of the shaft. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. Those that are breathing through the wound, Sitiguni, Sisonke, and we're still going to uh, do an investigation to see what actually happened. Because the, as you can see, our slogan is Amgo that the truth will, the knowledge and truth will set you free. We'll only have closure once we know what has happened. Thank you to Alpha Ramashwana for sending us that audio and telling us what's happening there. That memorial service underway for the Implatz miners who passed away. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. The National Assembly has passed uh, several laws uh, that now need to go to the President to actually sign into law. Of course, the President uh, can send these back to the National Assembly if he believes they won't pass constitutional muster. Um, But that's where we are at the moment. The National Council of Provinces passed the Prevention and Combating of Hate Crimes and Hate Speech Bill, which the uh, proposed amendments last month. That bill was then sent back to the National Assembly to consider the proposed amendments. So that's the one uh, bill that we're speaking about. It has to do with with hate speech and depicting hate speech, including any written, illustrated, visual display as well. And the bill lists penalties for all of these offences, including fines and imprisonment. It's been quite contentious because uh, some people raising concerns that politicians uh, could use this bill to shut down any kind of criticism. So that's the one piece of legislation. The other one is the National Prosecuting Authority Amendment Bill. And this is the, the piece of law that looks at making the investigating directorate uh, which sits in the NPA at making it permanent, giving it security of tenure, making sure that it has investigative powers. And I've spoken about this at length because um, for the ID to be effective, it needs to have investigative powers. It also needs to have security of tenure. There's some concerns about this as well. Clinis Breitenbach from the DA saying, well, this is just going to be a mini Scorpions with the same problems as before. It needs to be properly independent. Well, let's unpack this a bit further and Tabi Singh Dubazane is the director of Dubazane Attorneys, joining us to give us some analysis. And Tabi Singh, good afternoon to you. Thanks for uh, your time. So the, the, this piece of legislation uh, now goes to the president. We're one step closer to the ID being made permanent. What does that mean for the investigating directorate? As such, it would mean that the ID now has powers similar or like to those of the hawks of the SAPS because they would be doing investigations on crimes that are, you know, deemed to be high profile or prevalent or whatever the case may be. Now, also the ID, what this uh, proposal is saying is that they're trying to also give them, give the ID prosecutorial powers. I think that for me is where the issue will be uh, more of a problem um, because um, there's a reason why the SAPS and the NPA are two different aspects of the justice system because one is investigating, then the other one is independent of the investigation in order to prosecute it and, and analyze in terms of the criminal procedure act if the information acquired, 
is sufficient and correct in order for a prosecution to continue. Now, if the ID has the same powers as both the SAPS and those of the NPA, how will then that work? Will they not open up a window of um, whereby there's not, not corruption per se, but a window wherein there is no clarity or, or distinguishable um, aspects of what the investigation is if the investigator has the power to prosecute. And then over and above that, the prosecutors also have to go through the LLB program at the end of the day. So they also have to end up being um, uh, admitted attorneys of the high court at least. So now do we then say that attorneys are going to be um, investigators and also institute the, the actions against the accused persons in this matter? That would be uh, the main issues. What about this issue of security of tenure? Because that would make the ID permanent. Why is that important? In that situation, so far we have seen that the ID has done a great job, to be quite honest, to try and get matters onto the roll, getting the investigations out there, putting the matters and us um, dealing with it as they come, unlike a situation where any investigations are not done and then matters are struck off the roll and then we are back to square one. So in that aspect, um, I believe that if they're made permanent, it would add some bit of value to the SAPS, um, but not particularly to that of the NPA. So for me, even if the, 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 the issue of tenure, um, which is, for me, it's not that paramount. Let me just say that. For me, the issue is that how are you going to deal with the powers of the ID once they are made permanent? Because they were appointed for a certain period and for a certain aspect. Yes, those aspects are not done and dusted as yet. Um, there's still a lot of things outstanding. If they are made permanent, how are the powers going to be um, given to them in order to, to execute their duties? That's for me, I, I think for me, that's the issue. There have been some concerns raised by, uh, for example, Dennis Breitenbach at the DA, other um, political parties as well, saying that we're just going to see the same problems occurring that we saw with the, the Scorpions. We had the Khampepe mm. Commission, which looked into the Scorpions uh, being dissolved. The ANC clearly not learning its lessons from, from that and its decision around the Scorpions. Do you think this is sufficient to have the ID as it is sitting in the NPA? Well, I don't. I don't think so. I. I'm. I feel like the ID has done a better job than the the Scorpions. They've had more power than the Scorpions. The way that the Scorpions was dissolved was basically because they didn't have sufficient mandates to act in the way that they're supposed to. In fact, it seems as if um, the, uh, they were being given a lot more power, for lack of a better term, than the SAPS, but they were not able to execute their mandate properly. And as such, they didn't have sufficient funding as well to deal with everything that they need to deal with, the kinds of matters that were coming towards them uh, for them to investigate. But if the I, so far, the ID doesn't seem to be dealing with those aspects that the Scorpion um, Department had to deal with. Um, they have a better structure, but looking at the manner in which the um, government institutions, specifically the Department of Justice, when it comes to funding, it is dwindling. Um, when we look at the normal um, court processes in terms of the district court, the regional courts, and the high courts in our, in our land, the prosecutors are not enough to deal with this matter, with the matters that come um, along their way. As a matter of fact, um, there was a time where an aspirant prosecutor program was put on a hold, which means no new prosecutors were being um, put into the program, and the ones that are there are already overworked. Mm. So the question now is how are you going to then make sure that ID retains its independence 
and that even if the private sector were to fund it, would it not then lead to a situation that I, as Bazana, I'm funding the ID and therefore I don't expect them to right. investigate me. I think it's going to be that other issue that we're going to be dealing with. And Tabi Singh, thank you so much. And Tabi Singh Dubazane, Director of Dubazane Attorneys, attorneys giving us some analysis there on the investigating directorate being made permanent. Uh, I sound like a broken record, but uh, the investigating directorate firstly needs to have investigative powers because they cannot rely on the hawks alone. If we're going to uh, see convictions taking place, they need to be pro- properly resources. They need security of tenure. They need independence as well. So I, I think it is a step in the right direction. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. The Electoral Commission today uh, releasing research uh, discussing the findings of a survey that uh, a study was conducted amongst voters to gauge their perceptions and their intentions ahead of the elections next year. Veronica Makhari, EWN reporter, having a listen to that. Uh, Veronica, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. Tell us about this research. I beg your pardon, Mandy. Sorry, the line broke there. Uh, Tell us about the research that has been released by the Electoral Commission. Good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, of course. A very interesting perspective ahead, of course, of the 2024 national elections, trying to understand essentially what South African voters look like and where essentially the Electoral Commission should be perhaps maybe putting more of its efforts into, uh, you know, the kind of conversations needed on the ground. Mandy, the research has put some perspective together about the youth, especially, and their views towards politics and the democratic process. In fact, some of the data coming out today says that 82% of the youth who took part in the survey plan to abstain from the elections because they are dissatisfied with democracy. Another 87% won't be participating next year because of the deep discontent of political leaders. So it seems young people are withdrawing their votes almost as a punishment, Mandy, not because they don't want to participate in the democratic process, but they feel let down essentially by the political system. Something, Mandy, that I think is somewhat of a silver lining and perhaps maybe destroys the stereotype or the idea that there's a large voter apathy among young people, that they are not interested um, within, you know, sort of the democratic process, was uh, the research finding out that 58% believe in the duty of voting and that young people do understand, of course, the weight of their vote. Um, the Human Research uh, Council's Samela and Dimazi Zange explains essentially uh, what the data means, uh, you know, for the electorate going ahead to next year's elections. When looking at the youth in general, once again, there's high interest in voting, even though there's higher intention of not voting in the upcoming election. When it comes to uh, plan abstainers, 64%, they say they're not interested. And then when it comes to uncertain voters, it's 24% that says they are not at all interested. So let us shatter this stereotype that our youth does not want to vote or is not interested in voting. So there's this divide that, yes, we want to vote. We see the importance of voting, but we have these reasons why we do not want to go out and vote. It's lack of institutional trust and the lack of trust and the lack of trust in our democracy per se. And this is so important, right? It's not uh, apathy. It is, and I always say we have a big voter apathy problem. It's that they know that they should be voting. They just don't trust the institutions and they don't trust the politicians either. So, so what is the IC going to be doing? Have they said what they're going to be doing about making sure that they... They, they increase the number of people that actually come out and vote. 
Absolutely, Mandy. So essentially, the Human Science Research Council also gave them recommendations in this regard. Um, and it spoke, of course, to uh, some of the approaches that they've been taking. Remember, Mandy, of course, there was that huge campaign about getting uh, celebrities and social media influencers on board. Uh, it turned out, Mandy, of course, from the data that released here, is that essentially the youth are not interested in seeing social media influencers. In fact, 55% of them say it actually creates a massive distrust um, and that even if they saw their favorite celebrity, it seems that it's, it's more of a self-serving gain. And that's also how they see government um, leaders and political parties. So what's going on here, essentially, Mandy, is that part of the recommendations is that they, young people, essentially, from what we gathered from this report, is that from their perspective, convincing them to turn out would require responding to their direct needs, mm. that issues of decent work, quality services, ethical leadership, and, you know, removing the social media phase and rather saying, let me see young people, young leaders in my community coming out to show me the importance of this yeah. vote and address those massive issues. Mm. Veronica, thank you very much. Uh, Veronica Mahoudi, EWN reporter. Uh, important research being released there by the Electoral Commission. The Midday Report on 702. Winner of the Best Daytime Show Award at the 2023 Telcom Radio Awards. Place says she's going to play that every day, all the time. Keep going, keep going. Um, we'll make sure that they don't breathe. Uh, Raisa Mzanzi is picketing for the, the rights of women and children and access to healthcare at the Tambo Memorial uh, Hospital. Uh, that uh, picket taking place at one of the oldest hospitals in Gauteng that's uh, beset with a myriad of issues. Let's speak to Esther Padi, who's a Raisa Mzanzi National Leadership Collective member. Esther, good afternoon to you. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, what are you picketing about today at Tambo Memorial? Good afternoon, Mindy, and afternoon to your listeners. Uh, today we are here to fight for a quality access of services for our women and children in particular. And we are saying as Rise and Zanzi that we are asking for the hospital and all institutions of government for everyone who walks into the gate and she needs to be treated with dignity and care. We have a lot of issues that we have had very sad stories of women who are forced to give birth on the floor and at most of uh, one particular, which is Miss Louisa, her uh, child passed away after eight days because he, uh, they sustained a head injury. So we are asking for government and uh, the premier of this province to really take the health institutions very seriously because women can no longer continue to be treated like this. For example, women, women in this country generally are not safe in their homes, are not safe in the streets, and we cannot have a situation where they are also not safe in institutions of government. So as residents, we are coming to say enough is enough. We need to step up and go and write a formal letter to the health ombud to make sure that definitely people get the dignity they deserve through these services of government. Mm. Esther, thank you very much. Esther Paddy, uh, Rise Mzanzi National Leadership Collective member, speaking to us there about that picket underway at the Tambo Memorial Hospital. The Midday Report. Well, thank you very much for joining us. So uh, something to watch this afternoon is the former Prime Minister in the UK, Boris Johnson, has just started his evidence at the COVID inquiry under some serious uh, heat there. A full inquiry underway in the UK about uh, how the UK government responded uh, to the COVID pandemic. Uh, Boris Johnson starting his evidence by saying, how sorry I am for the pain and the loss um, and then going on to, to speak about um, 
all sorts of uh, leadership decisions that were made. And of course, the parties that were thrown and all of that, I'm sure, will come under question. So that's the one thing that you can watch uh, this afternoon. Uh, we are waiting for that Pala Pala burglary case to appear in court today. We're expecting a bail application of accused number one, Emanuela David. And if we get a bail application, then hopefully we'll get some more detail on that too. And then, uh, of course, that court appearance with the Dipsluit matter in the Randberg Magistrate's Court today, as you heard there. So a lot happening today for you to keep an eye on.